Welcome to episode 133 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and I'm here with the tycoon of terrific customer service, Adam Toporek. Adam, are you like leaning back in a desk chair smoking a cigar right now? Because that's what I picture. I am. I am actually uh, <laughs> checking out my pocket watch in my vest. <laughs> Perfect. And With your top hat. Pl- plotting, <laughs> plotting my uh, takeover of Park Place and Boardwalk. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's what I pictured. Uh, so we are talking about something kind of fun today. But before we get into that, just how are things going? It's summertime. Are you enjoying it? Let's see. It's summertime. It's Orlando, Florida. How do you think they're going? <laughs> Remember, you know what I ask you that question in the winter in Chicago? <laughs> yeah, good point. Just good. ditto. And you and I are both attending a conference in Phoenix, Arizona in July. So that yeah. should be fun too. <laughs> Grew up in the South my whole life in the only state I almost got heat stroke in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is going to be an excellent conference. We're going to the National Speakers Association Conference. So very yes. nice. We'll be upping our speaking IQ. <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Unless they put us in the corner with dunce caps. You know, you never know. <laughs> you never know. I'll certainly make sure they do it to you first and I get a photograph for social media. <laughs> that you can be sure of. Uh, always the gentleman you are. <laughs> but you know what? I think we're going to bring back some good guests and some mm-hmm. uh, interesting takeaways for customer experience because you know what? Uh, speakers and people in the speaking industry are very big on customer experience from a B2B and a consulting and a professional services type standpoint. And yeah, I've found it interesting. The Of course, there's a lot of people who speak on customer experience, but I've found an interesting crossover over the years. And it's, uh, you know, there's, I always learned something not just about speaking per Mm -hmm. se, but about, um, you know, professional services and ways to, you know, hug your customers better. Yep, it's true. And we're going to see some of our buddies. Stan Phelps will be there and uh, Jay Bear and uh, my buddy um, Phil Gerbacek. Do you know him? Do you know uh, Phil? He's Orlando. He's Central he's, Florida. Yeah. Yep. Well, now he is. He used to be Milwaukee. So we had him in the Midwest for a while. Well, he learned. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, so I'm excited to see everybody. We're We're going to have fun doing that. So I wonder if they think about ecosystems as you know, as these professional speakers start building their reputation, they really think about this subject that we're about to talk about. Because I think sometimes customer experience people and customer service people, we get a little heads down about our work. And we tend to think, oh my gosh, we're going to create this amazing product or this amazing service or this amazing journey for our customers. And we don't necessarily remember that it has to be supported by the real world. And part of the real world is the ecosystem of how the customers live. Am I making any sense? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, you are, although it would be much more fun to tell you you're not. Um, (laughs) So let's let's break in. uh, We're going to talk about ecosystems today. Let's break down for the peeps here what we mean by that. We Mm -hmm. really mean, in some sense, the infrastructure, uh, the so the things that surround a product that make that product possible. For instance, you could not have email without an infrastructure of personal computers, an ecosystem of personal computers. It really, mm-hmm. uh, either personal or business computers, you could have invented, email was invented way before, but it was not useful mm-hmm. <laughs> until, right. until there was widespread adoption of computers. Right, right. 
And I think that's a that's a great example. And what got me thinking about this is the car company Tesla, who makes these amazing electric cars. And to to uh, up until today, let's say they've been pretty pricey <laughs> and not necessarily attainable for the majority of drivers on the road because the price point was pretty high and also there was a waiting list and they're just not for the average Joe. But Tesla came out and said they're coming out with this new model that's going to be much more affordable. And so they, the expectation is that there will be an influx of Teslas on the road. The challenge is that they have to be charged. They're electric cars. And there is real concern that there simply aren't enough charging stations to support additional cars of this type on the road. And there hasn't been much said about this. And so I'm curious, like, I wonder if right now Elon Musk and his team are sitting there thinking, what can we do about this? As far as they have, right. they do have a branded Tesla only charging station model, but there are also public charging stations that any brand can use. But I wonder how much they're really trying to address this ecosystem issue. Because if there aren't enough charging stations and I'm in the car and I can't get to where I'm going because I run out of power, <laughs> that's a pretty bad customer experience. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. And that is the catch. It would behoove them, you would think, to actually you know, control that part of the environment to invest in, you know, to vertically integrate, if you will. Right. And really, because how else will it happen? I mean, right. it, it took a long time for cars to become useful, uh, gasoline cars. First, mm -hmm. there was a big tension between ethanol and fuel back then, between alcohol and fuel and uh, John D. Rockefeller. <laughs> you, you know, he was, I don't know if you know this, uh, he was behind the temperance movement because he wanted to eliminate uh, alcohol. <laughs> Seriously, I'm <laughs> not kidding. So, uh, and that's one of the one of the ways uh, gasoline and uh, won. But you know, it's it still took a long time mm -hmm. for it to be uh, for there to be widespread adoption for people to actually make it part of their lives and not mm -hmm. just wealthy people and mm -hmm. not just recreational. Well, and I think it's it's interesting when you think about some of the guests we've had and some of the subjects we've talked about. If you actually, if you sell something that sounds great on paper, <laughs> but isn't, isn't something that I'm, it, it takes a lot of ownership of me to use it. For instance, gym memberships. A lot of people buy gym memberships and then basically don't go to the gym, right? So they're not getting their quote unquote money's worth. But what if the gym came to you? What if they figured out a way to incentivize people to show up or any of those things? It's like thinking about the actual way that we use the products, the way that we have to incorporate the products and services into our everyday lives and into our real lives. It has to be part of the designing process of the experience, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I will point out that for a lot of gym memberships, uh, they don't want you to show up. Right. <laughs> they over. Right. If everybody that had a membership showed up, yep. they'd be in big trouble. That's January. <laughs> yes, exactly for sure. And, but you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's the ecosystem. It's also the network effect to some degree, which is you know the first fax machine, the first telephone had no value. Mm -hmm. There was only value when there was a second telephone and a second fax machine and a third and onward. And it does. 
as more thing as there's more of a network effect as as there's more market saturation, I think you hit a tipping point mm-hmm. where not only is it more useful, but the ecosystem you're talking about is economically viable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it becomes economically viable to support these things, and I think you know that's where you get it. It's this early adopter stage, especially for something that's capital intensive, right? Uh, like you know Tesla and the charging stations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's this early adopter phase where it gets really hard because the market's trying to feel like it, feeling itself out and saying, "When can we get in?" Tesla's doing well; it's catching on. Electric mm-hmm. is catching on. It's not there yet. When do we get in? When does Shell Oil right. compete, start to compete with itself? Right. Right? right. I mean, that, that's the first question. When do they put in the charging station? Because you're not going to want – I mean, the only way it's really going to work is when traditional oil companies have to do it, I think, because they've got the footprint. Well, it's, it's a the really – The only way it will happen great, fast. Sorry. Right. And it, it's a really great question, and it reminds me of kind of the early days of when everything went online – And I remember being in meetings where these companies would talk about, well, we're going to have to cannibalize ourselves. Just by providing that as a channel, they saw it as like a threat to their brick and mortar stores. Newspapers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, so all of these things really had to think through, okay, how are people actually using our products? And I think that's the point that unfortunately, especially startups and different things, they get so excited about their products and they get so excited about what they're offering that when they're designing the experience, they're not really thinking about how does our product live up to the ecosystem or how can we provide the ecosystem to support our product? Instead, they're just like, this is going to be awesome and everybody's going to want it. And then it's just kind of going to take care of itself. (laughs) And that's the part where I think we really have to be pragmatic about it and say, okay, this is a great idea. Maybe it's before it's time. I mean, there were lots of products that were just before their time, before we had these resources before we could all connect to each other via mobile devices and all of these things, great ideas lived and died because the ecosystem couldn't support them. And so that's the part I want people to really think about as they're designing their own customer experiences. What are we really providing to connect with the ecosystem that they already live in? Absolutely. And I mean, that's if you can tag on, if you can sort of glom on to an existing infrastructure mm-hmm. ecosystem, that's always the best. Right. Well, that's, not always. Uh, I wouldn't, let I wouldn't me rephrase. I should, I should never, you should never say always in anything. So exactly. my, my bad. I should not have said always. <laughs> but it's often the best, uh, especially, like I said, capital intensive like this. I mean, if, if uh, they're going to go the route of building new gas stations, new charging stations for everything, mm-hmm. it's going to take a very long time. And yep. if they use the existing infrastructure, now that may not even be gas stations. Right. That may be every uh, Publix. Or, right. Har- or Harris Teeter, because you know Whole Foods has charging stations at some, mm-hmm. in some of the bigger markets. Yeah. Um, but there's got to be some existing infrastructure for this type of thing because real estate, there is nothing slower on earth than <laughs> trying to create a real estate footprint. And you know, we were just in Ireland driving through the whole country, and I saw a charging station at um, kind of a a rest stop, um, but a public one. You know, like one of the ones that sits over the highway. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, that's clever. That's probably something we're going to start seeing more of too, are places where people are already driving through. That's where you want to provide these things. So who knows? I think your bigger point is really important. And I think we can just maybe wrap on this, which mm-hmm. is 
no matter what you're doing, if you're inventing the next app, you're inventing the next, you know, PC, whatever it may be, you really do need to understand where the environment, where the infrastructure is for mm-hmm. what you're doing and how early you are and what will need to happen to be successful and to get with the point of our podcast here, what you'll need to do to create a good customer experience for those early customers because I would be very unhappy to buy a very expensive car and not be able to actually drive it outside of my neighborhood. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So yeah, think about and and also ecosystems change. So if you already have a product, you need to start looking around and realizing are we still living up to that? Are we providing enough for our customers to use it in their lives today? Not necessarily how it was five years ago. So lots to think about on this one, but it's it's an important topic and I think it's something that cannot be overlooked. So that's that's my soapbox. <laughs> Drop the mic. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 133. We hope it charged you up. Oh, thank you. Well thank done, you. sir. Thank you. Well, episode 133 of Crack the Customer Code. Don't forget to subscribe, check out all our episodes, and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. Stay current on the latest customer experience trends and insights and see my TEDx talk at 360connects.com. And thank you to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Get your own audiobook and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. And I'm Adam Deporek. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.